You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. If you would, let's uh, let's turn to the book of James. We're going to be in chapter 3. We finished uh, chapter 2. James 3 is kind of one of those pesky chapters. It's just like, ah, oh, let's just go ahead and skip it. It's about the tongue and about what we say and those kind of things. And since we all have such good control of our tongues already, I don't think there's a single thing on here that will be relevant to anybody here. Surely not. <laughs> all right. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you tonight that we can be together in your house. Thank you, Father, that you have things planned for tonight, for individual lives. You have words that you want to speak. You have revelation that you want to show, that you have blessing. You have goodness and kindness. And, Father, you allow us to just live in preparation, live in readiness to discover what you have so abundantly given. So thank you, Father. You love us in such remarkable ways, ways that we can't even find words to say thank you. We can't even quite comprehend or grasp what that love fully looks like. But thank you, Father, that you've given us hearts to desire it, that we can search and we can seek and we can long for the Father's touch. So, Father, thank you for just being here with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hi, Sherry. Come right on in here. All right, James chapter 3, verse 1. Well, we get introduced again right off the bat that uh, James 3, 1 tells us that he's writing this to believers. This, this chapter wouldn't make a great deal of sense to someone who's not saved, someone who's, who doesn't already have that relationship. So he begins, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Now I'm going to read that, those two verses to you from another translation because it just makes it so much easier to understand. My brethren, let not, let not many of you become teachers. That's what the word masters is talking about. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Again, that's a, I'm, I'm, some would hear that and say, oh, that's terrible. I'll look at that and say, how amazing. If he's going to give me the privilege and call me to a position to stand and speak, stand and teach, stand and deliver in anything, and he's going to hold me to a, a stricter judgment. What does it also say he's going to do in terms of the provision he gives? It will be a greater provision. It's like I mention this often that I don't know how. I truly don't know how that God over 12 years 
has never allowed me to go back and, and reteach an old sermon. There's, there's been a few occasions when, when I would start preparing a sermon, God would bring me back to something, and I'd realize when I looked in my Bible that, that something was already there, that I had I'd spoke on that before, but he brings me to these things each time. And it's amazing to me that he can, he can teach me. And, and I, I shared this at the Bible study last night. Uh, it's a little odd for some, and it may be a little odd for many, that if, if this is standing here as a denominational wall and on this wall are the things that Baptists believe or Church of Christ believe or any, I mean, any denomination believes, and they stand behind that wall and they let that determine this is what we believe, this is who we are as a people. But the, but the wall this this high, and they can actually see over it. They can see something beyond that wall. If I preach sermons that are, that are right here. Yeah, there's a little bit of a difference between and a little bit of revelation and a little bit of truth that will take them a little bit beyond where they already stand. But they will not see enough difference to come across the wall to get it. But when I, when, when I do what God allows me to do and I teach sermons that are out here, Again, when I say things that it, it just kind of makes people stop and think, you know, that can't be right. You know, as I mentioned last night, it catches people off guard when I say all sin is forgiven. That's, that's not what they typically hear. That, I, I could say that in many ways right here. But if somebody ever finally gets that all sin is forgiven and it leads them to an understanding of righteousness, and the freedom that that righteousness was designed to give us, they'll tear down that wall to get here. If they ever get a glimpse of this, now many will stand on the other side of the wall and will never get it. They won't see it and they don't want it. But if anybody ever sees and hears this difference, if they ever understand the reality of God's love, they'll tear down that wall to get to it. If they ever understand that I'm not a servant, but I'm a child of God and all that that means, a joint heir, and all that that means, they'll tear down the wall to get to it. And I was talking to somebody about that today, and, and I, I'm, I mentioned that I'm grateful for the privilege of getting to, to preach those things. And this person said, it's not a privilege, it's a responsibility. If God's going to give it to you in that unusual form, to bring, to bring that message, unless you alter the message, you're going to preach exactly what he gave you, whether it's standing right here or out there. And that's exciting to me, that I'm not trying to be challenging. I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm not trying to be radical. But when he gives me these messages, just you know, a few weeks ago, this understanding that, if we understand how a kingdom comes, I'm sorry, if we understand how the kingdom came, then we can understand now how the kingdom comes. So we go back and look at how the kingdom came. God found someone, Mary, 
who met the criteria. It's a very simple criteria. Number one, any man, boy, any man, woman, boy, or girl. We all of us so far have, are in good standing. The second criteria is if if we will, as a man, woman, boy, or girl, be able to say out of our mouths, from our hearts, God, I can't. We've met the second criteria. The third one is if we will recognize it by my acknowledgement of the fact that I can't, that somebody can do something through me that I could not possibly do. If I will acknowledge that, that's, that's criteria number three. Criteria number four is because I recognize that I am a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl, and I can say to the Father I can't, and that can't means that there's somebody who threw me who can. Criteria number four is very simple. Then I let him. That's what he found in Mary. Mary said, I can't. And the, and the Holy Spirit explained in Mary's answer, well, behold, the handmaid of the Lord do unto me. So what, what brought the kingdom? The Holy Spirit came upon her. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. So does that give me a glimpse now to how the kingdom is birthed in me? I hope so. I hope that, that God can find in me those four things. And I hope finding those four things that the Holy Spirit will come upon me. The Holy Spirit will overshadow me as a cloud so that the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't as much of me being immersed just into the Spirit, more the fact that the Spirit has come to engulf me. I am immersed in Him because I didn't move. He moved on me. So I know how the kingdom came. So I know now how the kingdom comes. So I can let the kingdom be birthed in me so that I can raise kingdom children. I can be a member of a kingdom church. I can help build a kingdom instead of building a church because God wants to birth a kingdom in us. And it's the exact same way. He did it there, he does it here, and he will do it again. You see, it's amazing to me that, that I get to preach that. I, it, it fascinates me. That God gives it so that it can, be, it can be shared. So I'm not bothered by the fact that there's a, a more strict judgment because I know there's a provision that matches it. Now, if I thought I was on my own, that would be a terrible warning. Yeah, I'm, there's a lot expected of me because I'm a teacher, but I don't know if I'm equipped to be a teacher, so you know, I, I don't know if I can meet the standard. He goes on to say, for we all stumble. Again, this is verse 2. Uh, in this other version I'm reading from, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now I'm going to, I'm going to venture a little bit off of what I think is typically believed about James here. Because the first thing that, that hits us is that when it says, if anyone does not stumble in word, how many of us could say in my life, I've never stumbled in word? You see, nobody. So is, is, it, is this just a rhetorical statement? Is James just saying something to say how ridiculous that is? Well, there's a possibility of that. James is 
kind of leaning in that direction that, yeah, I'm, I'm saying this, but there's a recognition that nobody is going to ever be able to not stumble in their words. Sometimes the stumbling gets real funny. I had a lady at Ropes that, that uh, it was Janet's mother, uh, Levita Reem, and I would mess up, stumble over my tongue, and I would see her back there, and she had this notebook, and she gets busy writing because she kept track of all, of all those things I said. And she would give them to me periodically <laughs> of all the strange things I'd said with my tongue getting, getting tied. But what does it mean if I'm able to never stumble in word? Then I can say, that I am a perfect man. Again, is James trying to create a rhetorical statement or is he saying, because if I can do that, then I am able also to bridle the whole body? And I'm going to say this verse, but I should have I looked it up. I, it's either, I think it's 2 Timothy 3. Verse 16, that says, uh, the, the word of God is good for correction, it's good for instruction. And it says that the man of God might be perfect. Perfect is the word, at least in the King James. It's not in any other version, but in the King James, it's perfect. It's 2 Timothy 3, 16. Yeah. Throughly furnished unto all good works. Now, that verse has been radically, radically changed. Many, many say, the Bible say that the man of God will be adequately equipped, uh, thoroughly equipped. But the King James, and it, it always catches me, that the, that the expectation is that the man of God will be perfect. Well, I, I don't think it should bother me. I, I think the, the instruction uh, to us was, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So again, we have to step back from that statement and say, well, is that a, is that a target that I'm shooting at, but that I can never achieve? And I, cannot, I just can't believe that. I won't believe that. That God's giving us an, a target of performance to shoot at but unattainable. But he said it. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, I'm, if I'm going to be perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect, whose perfection am I going to have to run on? My Father in heaven's. It's got to be his perfection. If I, if the, if in 2 Timothy 3, if the man of God's going to be perfect, and again, I love the word, and it gets changed quickly because we, don't, we never use this word. We never use the word truly, truly furnished. But once, but once again, if, if, if I'm going to do anything perfectly, who has to do it? He has to. Through me. So does that make me capable of, of perfection? What well, Paul said, no, but he also teaches and says about this perfection because we, we're not confused at what he's saying. 
that if, if I will actually step out of the way and let him indwell me and do through me what only he can do, I'd like to get you to get him to do something that's less than perfect. Can he? Is it even possible for God to do something that's less than perfect? No. So when we come back to this passage in James, this says, if anyone does not stumble in word, then what must be going on? If I don't stumble in word, what must be going on? He's got to be speaking through me. He's the only one that won't stumble. And I could put myself there in the category, the same category, 2 Timothy chapter 3, that a man can be perfect and truly furnished unto all good works. Able also to bridle the whole body. So what, what's the one thing that I can say today out of both practical experience and scriptural truth that if I'm going to bring my body, uh, if I'm going to bridle it, then some, there, there has to be something going on for me to be able to bridle my body. What must be going on? Yeah, it's God. That's it. It's, yeah, it has to be him in me. Because the minute that I surrender this vessel, this earthen vessel to him, so that he can fill it, the excellency is of God and not of me. The excellent words are not my words. This, the fact that I don't stumble over the words cannot come from me. They have to come from him. One of the, I'm going to have to be very careful how I tell this, but there is a, there's a video on YouTube of a, of a youth pastor speaking, and I mean, it's a large conference. And uh, he's talking about uh, Abraham, I'm pretty sure. And he, he wants to say, Abraham pitched his tents and it did not come out that Abraham pitched his tents. It came out that Abraham pinched something else. <laughs> <laughs> and he is, he's dying. He's, he's brilliant red. And he starts talking to his wife. He said, just go ahead and pack up. He said, you know, I'll get down from here in a minute. But he, he, and he's, he's trying to get himself back together. He's trying to, he's trying to move on. And, and, and everybody in the congregation, the audience is still laughing. He finally says, he says stop laughing. I can't, couldn't get it back together. But it, it's hilarious. Oh, yeah. I, the, the, the stumbling over the, over the tongue is a, it's very funny when it's not you. Got, I got one more I need to tell, and it's not quite like that. I can, this, this one is a, is a guy on, that's doing the news, and he said, that, you know, the traffic wasn't moving, and he gives the interstate, and he said, traffic wasn't moving out on the highway today, but you could hear a lot of mooing because, because a farmer lost his cows, Black and Gus, and couldn't get them back in the trailer. And he's talking about it, he's reporting the news, and, and the, his 
fellow anchor is, is sitting there like, like this, just listening to him the whole time. And he says, do you think those cows could have been black Angus? <laughs> he just watched him, just watched him out. He had these two cows, Black and Gus. And <laughs> they, 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 once, once again, they couldn't get it back together. <laughs> so. Sometimes God may stumble just to, make, just to get us to laugh. Because sometimes it's really pretty funny. James has a sober uh, thought, again, for those who would become teachers. Uh, we understand in our, hum- in our humanity, we stumble in many things. Uh, what makes it so remarkable is that this greater accountability, and th- again, this, is, this should bless us. This really should be exciting. The, the greater accountability of teachers is especially sobering when you think of it in the light of our own human weakness. It's like when we begin to understand this, again, we will come back to where we've already been, but we, we recognize that I, I can stand up here and I can do it week after week and, and stand and teach five times a week and, and recognize truly recognize that it's coming out of a place of absolute weakness. But once I realize that I'm coming from a place of weakness, I won't even try to do it. That's where the I can't comes from. would Would it seem a little bit overwhelming that you had five preparations a week to stand and teach something different five times a week, which is what my schedule is now, and 30 hours of counseling with that, does it, it just like, whoa. But if I know that I'm functioning from a place of weakness, where, I, where, the, where the I can't comes very freely, then it lets him be glorified. It lets him do what, what only he can do because I don't have any desire in those five times a week that I stand here that you hear, you, that you hear anything of what I would like to tell you. I want it absolutely to be of him. The word stumble in that doesn't mean a fatal fall. It means just tripping over something that hinders us or slows our spiritual progress. All right. Uh, verse 3. Behold, gives great examples here. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ship, which though they, are, they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor lists. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boast great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a word of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. So here's your option. 
You can, you can let God have your tongue. And if you let him have your tongue, then by that smallest thing, by the bit, like in a horse's mouth or the hem in a ship, even the smallest thing can turn the whole body. So if I give my tongue over to the Holy Spirit so that my words are his and they can be delivered perfectly by him, that's one option. The other option is that I use my tongue according to how I want to use it, and it comes out like this. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things, so I'll boast. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. How much trouble is this going to cause? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, incapable, basically, of telling the truth incapable of being honest. And it's like, Randy, that can't be true. Well, I, want to, I will assure you that you can take even the most austere, the most honored, the most revered man and woman that you could possibly imagine and ask them, Have, has your tongue ever run loose? Have you ever done harm with that tongue? And what's the answer going to be? Yes. Absolutely yes. And, and, and James is going to continue to prove it as we, as we continue to read. So he says, we put bits in horses' mouths that they obey us. So if the tongue is like a bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder of a ship, it leaves us with the question, and this is the, the question we've been coming back to, who or what holds the reins, or who or what directs the rudder? And there's many answers to this, and many people are living out the different answers to that. Who is supposed to direct the rudder? Who is supposed to be a hold of the reins? I'll give you this example. I've given it to you before. My brother-in-law was a pastor uh, in Fort Worth. And he made the statement from the pulpit in this Baptist church that God told him something. God said to me, I can't be too bad. Until the next morning in his office, the chairman of deacons walked in with two books. Had a Bible in one hand and the Baptist faith and message in the other. And says, if you are confused... And guess which one he laid down? The Baptist faith and message. Now, who's directing the ship? Who's holding the bridle? Some denominational connection, some denominational line is directing what is actually occurring within my story. You want to know why I have the feelings that I do about denominational lines? It's because the denomination is directing the ship. The denomination has hold of the reins and it's turning the whole thing. And, and, and we get to realize what, what the, the answer to this is. So what, what's it supposed to be? James points us, as we, in, even in bringing up the topic of perfection, James points us toward having the Spirit of God working through the new man, old man passed away, working through the new man, setting very directing hands on the reins and the rudder that is our tongue. 
Man, the Christian world needs that message because we are doing so much damage with our tongue. We open our mouth and we tell somebody, not because we're talking about him, but we tell somebody with our tongue what my father is like. God Bible study last night said he grew up believing that this God was harsh and hard and hard to please and just and 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 violent and loved revenge. That was the God that he that was the God he grew up with. That's not even odd. We open our mouth and by our, our own testimonies we we begin to tell a story about who our father is. Isn't it strange that he tells us in 1 John who he is? God is love. So if I open my mouth, what's supposed to be coming out? Love. God is the source of all hope. I open my mouth, even if I'm having to speak in terms of correction of somebody, what should still be coming out? Love, hope, goodness, grace. Because my tongue is going to, be, is going to reveal the full character of me and the full nature of him. You think we don't have a large responsibility about what our tongue does? And even, I've been, I've, this is one of these I've been dealing with a lot. You know, just, I've had three or four of these in the last few days of people praying and their prayers, I'm trying to think of one early this morning. Their prayers are confessing their lack of faith in God. I had, I had, uh, I had someone in my office this week saying that the people in her church were telling her because it, there's marital situations going on there and the people in the church say, we're, we're just praying for a miracle. Do you hear the indictment in that? What's, a, what, what's that statement saying? We're praying for a miracle. Yeah, praying for our will, and what's the indictment on her? You're going wrong. Yeah, I'm telling you in my statement that you're messing up. You're not, you're not meeting expectations here. And I asked her, I said, if I'm, if I'm praying for you right now, what do you want me to pray? It's real simple. If, 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 you, if, if you wanted me... I asked her, if you wanted me to pray for you in this, in this situation right now, what would you want me to pray? And she was very good with her answer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, there's no indictment in that. 
we're, we're cutting people down with the Christian words we keep offering. We don't even know we're doing it. Because what, because she kept, she kept saying, they say this and I just get heavier and to get broken and it's just like, she said, I know they mean well. And I said, so why do you, why do you think it's not working? Well, we talked about it. Because sometimes even in our prayers, it's like I'm, I'm praying that you lay, I'm praying that you quit drinking. I just slapped you in a very godly way. And, and, and I know this is, uh, this is, is going to sound a bit strange. But visiting with a man this past week and he was telling me about a friend of his that was deep into a, an addiction. And I asked him, I said, are you going to go tell him that he's wrong? He sat there a minute. He said, no, I'm not. I said, strange answer. You don't have a responsibility here to open up your Bible and just kind of stick it under his face and say, see, what you're doing is wrong. Don't you have that responsibility? He said, it sure feels like I should. But he said, the minute that I open my Bible and I turn around and I say, look right here, he's going to leave the table and he's going to be gone. Because he's been so judged all his life. He first of all needs to know that somebody loves him. I said, yeah, then who's going who's to tell him that what he's doing is wrong? He said, the Holy Spirit will. I said, yeah, he's good at it. But even in our correction of each other, the words that we use tear and fracture and hurt if they're not connected to the Holy Spirit. It really happens at the time when people die. At death, I've, I've had enough experience in this now to have people coming after a few months or a, you know, a year and say, man, that, that was tough. Like, well, what was tough about it? So these people that were coming trying to help me, <laughs> trying to be encouraging to me. And everything they said just tore at me. So they didn't have any idea how to help. So especially in some of those moments, we have to let the Holy Spirit guide our tongues or bridle it so that nothing comes out. And we sit there and we hold our hand instead of saying a word. But the tongue reveals so much, and that's what, that's what James is describing. Uh, when he mentions the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, the fire of the tongue has been used to burn many, what I'm talking about. Children are told that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Think that's true? No, it hurts, man, it hurts. Especially when we know sometimes it's by those words that a life is changed. Because we begin to understand that it was by those words that Satan attached an identity to that hurt. And now those words spoken are lasting a lifetime. I've shared over the last few days in some of the teaching just how unusual it is. It's still unusual for people to recognize that I've got, I've got one lady that, and 
she doesn't never mind me saying who it is, but I'll just kind of tell the story without her name. But to recognize that she has lived a very challenging life, kind of just full of hurt. She's about 70. It is still so amazing for her to realize that hurt happened prior to her ever going to school. Now that seems almost impossible, doesn't it? That a hurt could last that long? Words spoken back here could last, you know, 65 years or 66 years or 67 years? The words have that hard lasting effect because the words wouldn't. But when Satan uses the words to attach a permanent hurt by giving it an identity, it lasts a lifetime. And four weeks ago, now five weeks ago, coming up on Friday, sitting on a park bench in Lubbock, after all of these years, she's free. And she'll tell you. If she's here tonight, she'll tell you everything changed. Everything changed. Freedom for the first time. We wonder if words make any difference. We wonder if those investments of God's words change anything. Yeah, they change everything. Let me go just a little bit further and we'll wrap this up. Verse 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. I don't think we're confused about what James is talking about. I think James is laying it out there pretty clear. That if this tongue is not surrendered to the Holy Spirit so that he's holding the reins, so that he's got his hand on the helm of that ship, if the Holy Spirit doesn't have it, then there's only one other outcome. It will, as he describes here, it will be full of deadly poison and an unruly evil. That's powerful. He's saying we have been able to tame almost everything. It's like, I know there's a difference between domesticating things and taming things. But it's amazing to go to like SeaWorld years ago and watch these huge beasts go around that big tank and do exactly what those people wanted them to do on cue. We have tamed massive beasts. Use them to work, use them to entertain. We have done unbelievable things in our human life to bring these animals, beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea, tamed them, brought them under control. Again, that's different from domesticating. You can, you can domesticate a dog. It's hard to domesticate a cat. Isn't that strange? You can tame them both. It's hard to domesticate. You can look that up, Matthew, sometime. Give us a report. 
James says no man can do it. I think that's amazing for us to be able to, to do so much and this tiniest of thing we cannot tame. So what can we acknowledge by the fact that we can sit here today meeting the second criteria, saying to God, God, I'm, I'm sinning pretty well. James is kind of proving it. I can't tame my tongue. But along with that, I can't. I recognize, Father, that by your spirit, you can. And then I can meet the fourth criteria and let him. And from my mouth, from our mouths, he will birth a kingdom. Isn't that amazing? He will release and he will start a kingdom fire in somebody else. He will bring truth. He will bring revelation. He will bring encounter. And a kingdom will be born in somebody else. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.